Welcome to Melden Law and Friends. I'm Jeffrey Melden, welcoming you to a great edition. This is our 99th podcast, and we're really excited because we have a, a great lineup today. Uh, uh, Heisman Trophy winner Danny Warfel is going to be joining us, and uh, a lot of other exciting things are going on. Uh, Melden Law wants to let you know that, number one, the Gator game has been changed to Sunday, October 2nd, uh, which is uh, Eastern Washington. We are giving away a two-pack of tickets plus a $100 gift certificate to Spurrier's Gridiron Grill, uh, where we are broadcasting from. Behind me, you can see um, all of uh, Coach Spurrier's uh, helmets, and uh, we're very excited uh, to be uh helping Spurrier's Gridiron Grill in uh, everything that they do because it's a pretty cool, uh, uh, pretty cool place. Uh, we got Tom Petty Weekend coming up. Melden Law is sponsoring Tom Petty Weekend, uh, his birthday. Jeffrey, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Familiar with your success in uh, in the football arena, uh, I've been work studying a little bit. Uh, about what you've done since football, and uh, I'm very, very excited. However, I have one one question to start with. We've got three Heisman Trophy winners from uh, the University of Florida Gators, uh, Steve Spurrier, yourself, and Tim Tebow. What do the three of you all have in common? All right, well... Could be several answers that might apply. You could talk about competitiveness. You could talk about all sorts of things. But one of the unique ones that I'm aware of is we are all three sons of ministers, which is a unique thing as well. So you would think they would recruit more specifically in the future, but we'll see. <laughs> well, that was the answer I was looking for. Okay. And I thought it's pretty cool. Uh, you know, maybe there's something in the water. However, I think more likely than not is that um, uh, I think that uh, ministers 
our um, leaders within their congregation, within their community, and that uh, it is very uh, significant that uh, all three uh, of our greater Gator great quarterbacks, um, uh, their, your fathers were all ministers. Um, however, you are the only Gator quarterback to win the Heisman Trophy and also win the national championship in the same year as as the quarterback. Oh well, that's very very kind. That's splitting hairs a little bit because uh, obviously <laughs> Tim won both, just not the same year. But I'll take it. Any anything you got, I'll take it. Appreciate I know, it. I know. Yeah, but, uh, and, and I'm sure Coach Spurrier would have something to say about that. Oh, it is. I, I like the fact that I was the first and I think only Heisman winner to be coached by a Heisman Trophy winner. And uh, that's that's a pretty exciting uh, experience and, and thing to, to have gone through. Yeah, that's pretty neat. So we're here at Spurrier's Gridiron Grill. And of course, Coach Spurrier's Heisman Trophy is here. Can you tell us uh, uh, how your Heisman Trophy happened to wind up here at this incredible museum and restaurant? Well, you know, when, uh, when people impact your life in a big way, you, uh, you tend to, or at least I think you should, have a, an idea of anything you can ever do to, to support them, uh, be as open as you can. And so when the, the restaurant opened and Freddie and Coach Spurrier reached out and they wanted to get some neat uh, memorabilia there, they asked about trophies. And so I was super happy to uh, loan them the Heisman for a while. And to have that there and to, to showcase that and, uh, you know, definitely alone. So at some point I'll, I'll have to uh, get that one back. But happy to support Coach and Freddie and the, the restaurant there and all the, all the good memories that it, that it spurs up for people as, as they go and enjoy the, the establishment. Yeah. What, what were your thoughts when you first saw this restaurant and what, what it is? Well, it's it certainly is different and above what you would expect. You know, I think, you know, a lot of us are used to kind of sports bar restaurants or restaurants that are named after an athlete, but they really, really went high with this thing. And the, the class, the, the, the level of food the service is very cool and unique. The atmosphere is great. Uh, the upstairs, the, the visor area uh, is awesome. And then, I mean, there's not many places Jeffrey, where you'd be proud to go show someone the bathroom. And I was just there not long ago and walking through the bathroom with some guests and showing them, because for those that don't know, the, the, the walls, paper, and the bathrooms is filled with hand-drawn plays from Coach Spurrier about plays that actually happened. So it's like, All right by the sink is where I threw that to Chris, and over there by the urinal, that was the pass to I3L, and, and just uh, really – Great experience. I'm happy for Coach Brewer to have a place like that. He deserves it, and I think it brings a lot of uh, uniqueness and excitement to Gainesville as well. You know, it's really become a huge factor in recruiting as well. You, you got that right. I, I th I've seen a lot of athletes from different sports and coaches meeting there, and it's a, it's a great tie-in for the, the school for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. We really didn't have a place of this magnitude where you could bring in the uh, recruits and their families and, and go, wow, you know, Gainesville, Florida is just not some little honky tonk town. That's, that's right. It's great. So anyhow, I wanted to thank you very much for uh, uh, letting the, uh, 
the restaurant and the museum have uh, borrow uh, the Heisman Trophy because it, for those of you that haven't been here, when you walk in, it really is unique. There, there's very few sports restaurants or sports bars that have the vibe that this place has. So anyhow, Danny, let's talk a little bit about some of the stuff that um, you know you're doing currently. I know that uh, after your football career, uh, you got very involved with helping other people, in particular in New Orleans, where you had played foot, uh, pro football for three years with the Saints, and uh, you became the director of the Desire Street Ministries, uh, and you're still involved with that. Is that correct? Absolutely, yeah. I started volunteering in 1997, and I'm still the executive director and just really excited about the work that we do. It's not always easy, but we think it's meaningful. And, you know, we uh, referenced and talked a lot about Coach Spurrier and the way that he impacted my life as a, as a young quarterback uh, really has set the model for a lot of what we do at Desire Street. We, we find leaders that, that live and serve in very difficult neighborhoods, under-resourced neighborhoods, usually in bigger cities, um, and find that there's just some really amazing people doing great work that just haven't uh, had the connections, the resources, the coaching, the training. And, uh, and so Desire Street serves as that link. We partner with leaders for four to five years and help them develop their leadership. We help them develop their organization, their board. In fact, yesterday and today, we just had a cohort training uh, on fundraising to help uh, everybody learn and get a little bit better. And so uh, we do retreats, uh, organizational development, all sorts of things to try to help leaders in those neighborhoods really be sustainable and thrive in what they do. You know, it's very important work. I don't know if you know this, but Freddie Wiebe is one of our coaches at Meldon Law. And uh, we learned so much from him because of his broad experience. Uh, and I'm wondering, um, what are some of the um, success stories that you can uh, talk about? Well, you know, for us on the ground, you're talking about kids and families that have so many challenges before them that I know at least I didn't have. And, and like a lot of things that just sort of were part of normal life for me are things that aren't often provided. And, um, and so, you know, one amazing story on the ground, uh, it starts actually in the swamp. I remember there was a uh, Florida was playing LSU and Florida uh, was receiving the kickoff. And uh, Jeffrey, I don't know if you remember, Brandon James was an electric kickoff returner for us years ago. And he got this kickoff and he set his, his block and he cut left and he got tackled though, like before the 20. So you, you can imagine the stadium, 90,000 people excited and then sort of like gasping and, and, and just frustrating. But there was somebody on the Florida sideline that was cheering like crazy because the kid that tackled him from LSU was D'Angelo Peterson, who was a kid that grew up on the streets of New Orleans and got involved with Desire Street because he wanted pizza and wanted to play basketball, started attending some of the academic programming and Bible studies, ended up joining the school that we ran for many years, Desire Street Academy, was able to graduate, pass his test, and was on a full scholarship at LSU. So, like, that's a story of a young man's life and trajectory that was changed. 
And then even on a, another level, you know, when you when you look at the program leaders that are pouring into people like D'Angelo, the average statistics say that within five years, most of our leaders are burning out and quitting. So the person that would have been there for D'Angelo may not have made it. And so that's where Desire Street comes along. We've had several partners that would tell you they were getting ready to, to resign, to hang it up, to, to quit. But because of the support we're able to give them, the, the direction, the guidance and connections, uh, they're having some amazing work happening to this day. So that's sort of our goal is to keep the leaders healthy and keep them in the game so they can impact more and more D'Angelo's. Yeah, and I think that's really important because, um, as you know, uh, building a successful organization is not easy, You ha and you have to have team support. What are some of the uh, <clears throat> similarities as far as uh, a successful football program and running a successful uh, whether it's a ministry or uh, any other local uh, organization, what are some similarities that you find between the two? Well, I think, you know, right off the bat, uh, you know, when you're winning in life and in football, like I, th I say, winning covers a multitude of sins. Like when things are going well, if, if, if you're raising enough money in the nonprofit or you're selling enough things, winning enough games, often you can overlook some of the things that aren't quite oiled and smooth and well. And so I think the real test comes when, when there's trying times, when you're losing games, when you're throwing interceptions, when you're not raising or selling enough. Um, and, and that's when the, the culture, what you've created really is, is, is gonna come to fruition. And so I think to be able to one, prepare for those times, but then also when they hit, do, do you have the, the people that can hang together and trust one another? You know, I think a lot of that comes down to the, the culture that you have built. Um, you know, one of the things that people don't realize is uh, I had this conversation today with somebody actually that when roles aren't clear, you know, if, if we just went out there and said, hey, uh, Jeffrey, you're one of the 11 starters on offense and just line up wherever you want at some point. Uh, you know, it's, it's fun because you can do what you want. But when the roles aren't clear, inevitably, it usually leads to lack of trust. And so even really good people with great intentions, if they haven't created very specific roles and, and are very clear about who's doing what and who's responsible for what, uh, it can lead to a lack of trust. And so that's just, just right off the bat, one of the things. And, and you know, the other that I, I just love, football more than anything is like the best team game. Like there's so many other great sports that I love to play and have played, but there's something unique about the team wise of a football team. And in particular, if you're kind of wired that this play and this game and this season is going to be about me, um, usually your team is not going to maximize what you can do. But when you get people together that recognize life isn't just about you, that it, this, this, mission this goal isn't just about me but it's about us you start kind of having an us first mentality you can really do some amazing things as a group and you know there were times where we weren't the more talented football team um, both in high school and college and beyond but when you really care for each other and really want the other person to succeed um, you can make some magic you know at Melden Law we say that uh culture trumps talent every time 
Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. And, and that we we work very hard on uh, creating that because we feel like uh, if everybody's got each other's back and everybody understands each other's role, and every role is important. The quarterback's certainly important, but you know the person calling in the plays is important. The person that um, works in the locker room and helps everybody get prepared is important. And if you have a breakdown in any part of that system, then it affects the rest of the system. Man, that's, that's so true. That's one of the reasons why I'm really excited right now about our new football coach, uh, Billy Napier. I feel like um, he's a really unique and gifted and focused guy, not just on football, but on culture. And I mean, just yesterday, I think on Twitter, I saw they had this huge, beautiful video tribute to the people that clean the stadium at the swamp. And, and you know, that, you know, Florida kind of got teased when they did their team picture that they had so many support staff, like my goodness, but that's because he wanted to include people that in the past may not have been in the team picture. And I think that valuing, everybody's role and everybody's job is key to having an effective organization or team. You know, I was talking to Scott Strickland shortly after uh, he hired Billy Napier. And I asked Scott, what were the challenges in negotiating the deal with him? And he said, as far as Billy's uh, salary, that was easy. That was like chump change. He said the, the negotiation had to do with, uh, getting enough money to put together an incredible staff to support him in what his goals were. Yeah, oh, it's absolutely that. And, and, you know, he's the type of person that anything you could think of, like fringe thing that might be helpful possibly for a football program, he's like designed a corporate uh, structure and operation plan for that very thing with staffing, with accountability, um, and it's pretty, pretty remarkable. I think he's an incredibly, uh, incredibly organized person that, that has accountability, but also has the hearts of people. And so I'm really excited. I, I, I'm really hopeful that uh, the program will do well and, and really excited about him as a leader. I think from what I've seen and, and been around, I've been very impressed with his leadership. Yes. And you know what? I think he um, uh, takes responsibility uh, for, you know, his, uh, you know, certainly if the team uh, doesn't do their best, he puts the responsibility on him as a leader that I may, not, I, maybe we didn't coach you up right. Maybe we didn't do something. We could have done something better, you know, and I think that's uh, similar to what we experience every day in trying to uh, instill uh, leadership qualities in other people. Yeah, I heard it once, you know, when you're the leader, when things are going well, you give everyone else the credit. And when things are going bad, you try to take all the responsibility. <laughs> and I've seen both ends of that with different coaches. You know, there was a, a, a really unique play when I was in Chicago where we made a serious coaching blunder that almost cost us a football game. And the head coach took so much heat. I mean, you know, Chicago is pretty intense sports town. And I talked to somebody the following day who was like a quality control, almost like an intern. And the guy had tears in his eyes. He said, actually, one of my few jobs was to, to, to calculate the, the timing and make a, a, a reference, make a recommendation to the coach. And I made a mistake. And the coach did what I said. 
And that's why that happened. But no one ever knew that. No media knew that. None of the other team, like the, the coach owned it. Uh, but there was somebody else who had made the mistake, but he took responsibility and, and that was pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of times I think that's how you build team culture because in the event that a mistake is made, uh, ultimately you have to look at the leadership in order to determine uh, whether or not everybody was coached up correctly. And the leaders that throw their team members under the bus, um, they, they lose their ability to, uh, you know, inspire. Yeah. And you're depending too on the role and the job, you know, you, you, you want people in some roles to be creative enough to where they're going to make mistakes and, and how you handle those, uh, how you react to them when they make mistakes kind of really is going to determine the future productivity. So, you know, you don't want to have a ton of mistakes if somebody's your accountant, uh, per se, or <laughs> if you hire a law firm, you don't want them to screw up the law. You want them to get that right. But in a lot of jobs, you know, that you want to encourage people to, to stretch, knowing that there will be some mistakes and, and continue to affirm and grow through those. So I'm, I'm reading one of my leadership books today in preparation for our, our talk today. And uh, I saw a definition of personal success, and I'd like you to kind of respond. I'll read these off. Number one, knowing your purpose in life. Oh, well, you can do a lot of things that could be good that aren't necessarily the thing for you to do. And I think a biggest thing is, is learning how to live the life that, that God has designed for you. And, and finding that purpose is uh, pretty critical. Good one. Next, growing to your maximum potential. Mm. Uh, I think determination to be the best that you can be. You may, you know, you may not be able to jump from the free throw line and dunk it like Michael Jordan, but if you're on a middle school basketball team, you can sure be the best free throw shooter that you can be. And I think maximizing, grinding, um, putting the effort in to, to be the best version of yourself is one of the greatest gifts you can give the world. Yeah, and, and I think it, I admire people, uh, particularly people who have limitations, um, doing uh, things that we might do very easily. However, for them, they're reaching for the skies to do ordinary things. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Third is sowing seeds that benefit others. Now, uh, <clears throat> oh, man, that this sort of gets at, I think, some of the, the roots of my life mission. You know, I, I heard another Gator quote uh, saying, you know, planting trees whose shade you'll never sit in. Um, same sort of thing. But again, I think recognizing that life is not about you. Um, and I love how, uh, to allude back to another Heisman Trophy winning Florida quarterback puts it, you know, be driven, be successful, but that's more about you accomplishing things. But significance, to be really significant, that's about you doing something for others. And I, I think that, you know, there's so much joy, there's so much magic when people start entering into that space where you're using your time, your talent, your money not just for yourself, 
And, and I think there's something unique about the human spirit and the human soul that when we're in those spaces and participating in that, whether we're the one sharing or whether we're the one that's, that's in need and, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. So in fact, that's, that's really one of the, the key components uh, of my life and the, the Warful Foundation is to inspire service uh, in the world. And I, I love that. Love that. Number three is great. Well, that, that's great. So we just defined personal success, knowing your purpose in life, growing to your maximum potential, and sowing seeds that benefit others. Now, um, another thing uh, that I find interesting is um, uh, knowing what are your strengths and your weaknesses. How... I, I know I could talk about your strengths. Can you deal with your personally? What do you think are your strengths and your weaknesses? Well, um, you know, that, that you probably get a different answer. If you ask my wife or kids, they would have more <laughs> of the weaknesses to share. Um, you know, I think from a, you know, I tend to be pretty level headed when things get, get going. I have a strong work ethic to me on the things that matter and, and really, you know, really enjoy encouraging people you know I, I i really love being somebody to help uh encourage others in whatever journey they're on and to really care care for others i think those are some of the the strengths um love love to have fun uh love to play love to be silly um you know on, on a weakness level i think i i have a harder time you know being a sheriff uh whether it's as a parent or as a boss uh, you know, when there's when there's harder discussions to have, those are takes a lot more energy out of me than, than others, I think. Um, you know, I think uh, sometimes if there's something that doesn't seem super important to me, my my level of energy and work towards that drops drastically. My wife, I mean, she she will work her tail off no matter what. Uh, if, if she's doing it, you're going to get 100 percent of her and. And so I, I, those are some things I think I have to, uh, to work on and um, continue to, to try to be. And the other is, you know, I really value Jeffrey. This is back to my, my dad. I spent a week with him in, the, in a mountain with no electricity or water last week. And, you know, he was very competitive, but also like one of the most important values was humility. And it's pretty hard when your two most important goals in life are to win and be humble. It's like, like how do those go together? And so I think, I think the, the, the striving to be humble, wanting to be humble, acting humble is, is a value that I've always had, but I think true humility is a deeper piece than that. And really sort of uh, recognizing and seeing yourself and, and, in a very, truly humble way is something that I continue to work on. I get a lot of affirmation. People like you love to talk about my strengths and my past and the things I'm doing. I get a lot of affirmation for the work we do at Desire Street. And so, you know, how do I keep striving to really embody humility is an ongoing challenge. Well, I appreciate that. Um, what are some of the, um, types of uh, seminars and clinics you have at Desire Street. I, I understand, by the way, you're in Atlanta now. Is that correct? That's correct. We currently live and our headquarters are here in Atlanta. We're working in cities all across the Southeast, though, at this point. Our mission is 
to develop 20 thriving and sustainable organizations by 2025. And we're kind of right in the middle, middle of that. Um, and so, uh, yeah, what was, what was your question again? Well, was, I, I want you to talk a little bit about where, what is Desire Street doing currently and how do you foster leadership as far as, you know, putting on uh, group meeting seminars, things like that? Sure, yeah. Every leader that we partner with has a one-on-one -on -one lead coach that's, that's connecting with them uh, weekly, visiting very often, spending a lot of time. So there's sort of that, one-on-one -on -one coaching. We have a specialty coaching, uh, subject matter experts. So if, if you were running an organization and struggling with any particular thing, we would bring in someone that's more uh, expert in that area to, to provide the coaching. We do group training like today. We did a, the, the class the last two days on fundraising for these nonprofit leaders. Um, and then we also provide uh, retreats for the leader for the, the leader and their spouse, and then also a family retreat. We, we take all of our leaders and their families to Colorado for a whole week in the summer. Um, and, you know, so those are the, the types of things. I tell you, one of the most important things that we stress with leaders, and I think this applies to everybody, but whether you're burning the bridge in business or whether you're burning the bridge trying to help others in, in a nonprofit or in a ministry, if you're not kind of understanding your own bandwidth and your own need to step away, to get rest, to recharge your mind and your heart, then you're typically, uh, you cannot be at your best for long. And ultimately there's often burnout that comes. So it's, it's really helping people to learn how to work hard and then how to also stop rhythms on the day, whether it's weekly or, monthly, quarterly, yearly, what does that look like to care for your own soul, to care for your own mind, to manage your own emotions well in your body and to be healthy in every way so that you can be effective at what you do, not just for today, but for the long haul. Yeah. How are, how are you doing it as far as delegating things to others? We have a fantastic team um, in our internal sort of group. Uh, one of the, the greatest skaters I've ever met named James Gadsby uh, worked at Home Depot for over 20 years. And he left Home Depot to come help organize and structure and run Desire Street with me. So I'm just an incredible uh, leader there. We've got a phenomenal staff. And then we also have different ministry leaders that we consult that, that we hire as consultants to do a lot of the different work as well. So a lot of our uh, goal is to sort of coordinating the needs uh, we, we do kind of surveys and assessments with all the organizations and their leaders to find what specific things they, they could use some help with. And then we deploy our resources, coaches, subject matter experts uh, to go out in the field and, 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 and provide the, the support. You know, I asked that question because one of my biggest challenges has been learning to delegate because in the old days, I used to think I was the only one that could do it the right way. <laughs> that's, that's, that's very true. And, you know, it, it can easily happen uh, as in business and in nonprofit. But I'm blessed with a good team. Hopefully they feel delegated too. But, uh, again, sometimes we, we think we see it all. But those that work for us often uh, see the rest of it that we're missing. I know. So here's here's a quote that I, I, I like that I wanted to read to you and get your reaction. 
All leaders have two common characteristics. First, they are going somewhere. And second, they are able to persuade other people to go with them. Man, I think at the, at the very top of it, that's, that's what it is, you know, for good or bad. Uh, the, the leaders that have brought the best good in the world, the leaders that have brought so much destruction in the world. Um, and so I think it's, it's important, uh, you know, to, to see where someone's going. There's some pretty likable people that may not be going in the direction you want to go in. And, uh, and so, but yeah, at the end, you've got to believe in something, care about it and, and share it in a way that, that people want to be a part of it. And I think that's, that's part of the core challenge and opportunities of being a leader. Uh, for all of our listeners and viewers, can you leave us with some thoughts as far as what they can do uh, to help Desire Ministries uh, and anything else that you're involved with as far as, uh, you know, getting involved in helping others? Oh, wow. Well, first of all, just uh, whether it's through us or through anything, I encourage everybody to use their time, their talent, their money to invest in someone else, another organization, be a part of something that makes the world a little bit better. Uh, as far as us, you know, anything related to me, you can just go to dannywarfel.com. The hardest part is probably spelling my last name, but there's Google for that. Um, desirestreet.org, warfelfoundation.org, uh, all these organizations that you can find out all the things that we're doing. Uh, if you want to be a part of that, we've got events, uh, fundraisers, other things happening, but we definitely uh, need people's love and support and prayers and appreciate you uh, sharing that as well for us. Well, thank you very much, Danny Warfel, for being our guest on Meldon Law and Friends. I feel like we've only scratched the surface today and uh, I might uh, try to get you back on, uh, you know, later on after we, uh, you know, uh, have a time to digest everything we've been talking about today. Well, it never ends and I'd be happy to thank you, Jeffrey yeah. Meldon and your whole crew for making this possible. Well, thank you again, and uh, we're going to be back in three minutes on Melden Law and Friends. See you later. Oh, my gosh. I can't even believe this. Look. Look what you have done to my truck. Excuse me. It's your fault. It's not my fault. Yes, it is your fault. I am calling Jeffrey Melden from Melden Law. So I'm going to call Jeffrey, my husband. Melden Law, this is Jeffrey speaking. Jeffrey! This person no, no, here, this person lady, he might New client? Yes, but this one might be a little tricky. When you're a member of the Gator Nation, you know what it means to never back down. Melden Law has been a proud supporter of the Gator Nation since 1971. Two forces that won't back down. As the old saying goes, if you can't beat them, join them. We still hear it. The sound of victory. The joy of being part of something great. And while things may not be the same right now, we haven't gone anywhere. If you bleed orange and blue, then Melden Law is the firm for you.
here at the University of Florida, where Albert and Alberta are competing in the Gate of Penalty Shootout. Albert is ready to stop the shot at all costs. What a disaster! Luckily, Mountain Law is the only official law firm partner of the Florida Gators. If you have suffered any injury, do not worry because Mountain Law is going to help you with your recovery. Mountain Law doesn't back down until they reach their goal. Albert, Alberta, I understand you were witnesses to a crash. Can you tell us about the accident? When you're in a crash, it's important to get witness statements immediately after the accident. Whether you're in a car, truck, motorcycle, scooter, or even a golf cart accident, at Melden Law, we won't back down. And I was in an accident. Someone ran a red light and hit me, and I was hurt. You don't know where to turn. Luckily, I called Jeffrey. These big insurance companies, they don't want you to win. They truly don't. But Jeffrey and his firm and the people that work here, they just really fight for you. You call the law offices of Jeffrey Belden because you're going to need help, and they will help you. Welcome back to Melden Law and mm-hmm. Friends. I'm Jeffrey Melden, founder of Melden Law, and uh, we have some uh, wonderful guests today. Before we uh, get any further, I'm going to... Uh, let everybody know that the uh, Florida Gator game against Eastern Washington has been moved to Sunday. I believe it's at noon. So uh, let's uh, support our Gators and uh, uh, pray that uh, we have a uh, uh, less than uh, horrible hurricane coming up. And uh, let's see what we can do to stick together, and uh, that's how we'll uh, do the best. Uh, we are giving away tickets for the uh, game that's coming up Sunday. All you have to do is go to Melden Law Facebook page, and you will be able to enter the contest to get two tickets for the football game and a $100 gift certificate to Spurs Gridiron Grill, where we are currently broadcasting from in their podcast room. It's amazing here. If uh, y'all haven't been out here for uh, dinner or drinks or whatever, uh, check it out. It's a museum. It's a a great restaurant, and uh, we all have a good time out here. Uh, Also, the Tom Petty Festival is coming up. Three-day festival, October 20th, 21st, 22nd, at the Hartwood Soundstage in Gainesville. Uh, It's on South Main Street, and the tickets are free. Melden Law is sponsoring the event. Uh, You can go to the TomPettyWeekend.com and get free tickets. Uh, It's going to be amazing. There's going to be 20 super acts playing uh, Tom Petty's music, and uh, we all love Tom Petty, our hometown hero, so uh, let's uh, support it. Uh, anyhow, um, our guests today are, fat, are very interesting to me, and the reason is is because they're in the brewery business. Uh, we have uh, Sissy and Chris Hart. Sissy, how are you doing today? Chris, how are you doing? Doing great. Well, I want to thank you very much for coming uh, on our show. I understand that uh, you know you're you're in the brewery business. I want to just kind of grow uh, go back a little bit and 
How did you wind up uh, in, in Gainesville and where you're at today? Well, my lovely wife was born here. Oh, so Sissy, tell us about <laughs> your. So you're a Gator girl. I am a Gator girl. Uh, I was born uh, at now, now gone Alastra General Hospital in 1970, and I, I grew up here and I'm an ACR. Just haven't left. They never left. Well, that's yeah. great. Both my kids are ACR, <laughs> and so I know how important that is. ACR means Alachua County resident, for those of you that don't know, and we're very proud of it because most people live in uh, Alachua County are not ACRs, I would say. Most, most people, you know, came from somewhere else and wound up here in Gainesville or in Ocala or wherever, and it, uh, it, it's always great to see um, Gainesville natives. Um, you, so you went to school in Hawthorne, is that right? I did. Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, so, anyhow, uh, Chris, you were born in Hartford, Connecticut, right? Yes, that's correct. And then you moved to St. Pete, and went to school there. And you went, and you how'd you wind up in uh, uh, Gainesville? I came to UF, of course. Oh, so that was it. That was the you know I graduated high school, came up here, and I've never left. So uh, tell us. Uh, you know, what you studied at UF and, you know, uh, what your journey was from 1987 when you came up here until now. Well, the cool thing was, right at the end of my tenure at UF, of course, Steve Spurrier happens, which is pretty awesome. So that was a lot of fun, fun years in the 90s. Um, I came here to study history, and um, it, was, it was a great time at UF. We had a lot of fun. And then I met my wife, wife-to-be, and just got, got a small job locally. Uh, we started working a few things. We went down, uh, got a house in Micanopy, uh, lived there for a few years, which really isn't too far outside of Gainesville. And um, I started a little tiny dry-cleaning pickup and delivery business and did that for, uh, for quite a few years, actually 25 years, you know, overlapping with the, uh, the brewery. And uh, we were fortunately able to uh, have a child and I was able to keep doing the dry cleaning business and able to take care of our son while she was out of town. She was doing some really good work uh, in the health uh, in uh, health food and traveled a lot. And so that was what we did for, for some time. But then, you know, a little, little bit of homebrewing started to occur. Yeah. So um, how old is your son now? He will be 18 next week. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, what year is he in school? He is a senior at B. Holtz. Oh, wow. Okay, so what's coming up uh, for uh, your son next? He needs to decide that. <laughs> <laughs> at the rate he's going, I think he wants to be a rock star. I don't know. He keeps collecting all these instruments. Okay, uh, well, I'm sure that uh, as loving parents, you're going to help guide him in the right direction. We will support him whatever he chooses. That's great. So... I want to kind of skip forward to uh, the brewery because that's what I'm so excited about talking about. Um, Sissy, tell us a little story about how this whole thing, uh, you know, came about. So, as Chris mentioned, he dabbled in home brewing, and it was pretty much just that dabbling in it. And then he took a job um, at the local homebrew shop, and from there he started developing the recipes teaching classes, teaching others how to brew, and it didn't seem like it was going to advance any further than that. We had, had spoken to the, the owner of the business about pos possibly purchasing it, 
but at the time he wasn't interested. So we had to decide what, what was going to be his next step because at the time I was, I was settled in my career, but he needed something more, and we both enjoyed craft beer. So well, good. So um, how, how did, well, first of all, Black Adder Brewing Company is your, the name of your company. How yes. did that come about? That name. Well, that was the the famous 80s TV show starring Rowan Atkinson. Um, It's a very dry British uh, comedy show set in different historical time periods. And we knew already, um, because we kind of did this to our house, we created a British-style pub, like a Tudor, half-timbered Tudor pub in our home. And we knew what we wanted the decor to be at Blackadder. We just didn't know what the name was going to be yet. But we were fans of the show, and after we took about two weeks trying to figure out what we wanted to call the brewery, and we realized we could just call it Blackadder because in the second season, there's a whole bunch of Elizabethan Tudor-style sets and, and the, the conversations and everything. It's, it, it was a perfect fit. Well, that's exciting. Where's Blackadder uh, Brewing, uh, the brewery, located? We are just off of Newberry Road. Uh, we're near the mall. Uh, we're behind where you would find the McDonald's. We're in the same building with Honey Baked Ham and McAllister's Deli. Uh, we're right there. We're li- just like a stone's throw off of Newberry Road. Yeah, I know. The, I know the location well. And uh, so, did you start the uh, brewery there yourself, or was it already existing? Oh no, we we started it. We took the interior of that spot, which used to be Spa Royale, or half of Spa Royale, and we took it down to the floor and to the walls and to the ceiling. Uh, It's completely us. And then some, yeah. And then you recreated, and you were the the, uh, bottle washer, the carpenter, the... uh, Clear, still, the whole, still all uh, of those things, yes. Right? Yeah. And so how long did it take you to put this uh, pub together? 13 months. Yeah. Thir- wow. A couple, um, couple of construction couple delays. We had, we had, we had a good, good solid uh, general contractor mm-hmm. from here in town. Uh, he's the, the one that actually built First Magnitude Brewing as well. And uh, we had a great architect, Josh Shatkin. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, we worked to, to put the design together. They they made what we wanted into reality. Well, that's that's amazing. You know, um, it seems like Gainesville has started to have more and more breweries uh, in existence uh, in the last what ten twelve years. Oh yeah, yeah. So what's going on in Gainesville where uh, there's so there's such an interest in breweries? I think it's going on everywhere. Um, it really is in other cities that we visit. There's a lot of this going on too, where the breweries are just proliferating, and they each tend to have their own style. There, there was a proliferation of breweries in the United States. A lot of people came from Europe, Germany, and places where you know uh, there was strong, um, uh, strong brewery uh, mentality. I'll call it. And what I understand is, is that at some point, a lot of uh, that consolidated, 
and you became you had bigger and bigger breweries until uh, maybe I don't know 25 30 years ago when uh, some of the yeah. local breweries started you know on a smaller scale I, that's very much so true um, prohibition really damaged the the small craft beer industry in America uh, and kind of forced a lot forced a lot of breweries out of business, forced them to consolidate, and then you had that time period of like the uh, well, the post-war years where you've got all these beer commercials. We we actually we have some vintage beer commercials that we we, we collected a couple of a couple of DVDs on, and it's very interesting. But you see like hams and Stroh's, and there's all these different brands, but they're all almost the same beer, and then. In the 80s and in the 90s, you really started to get some 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 craft breweries started to pop up, and and more of that local neighborhood brewery started to become a thing again, which is what it really was to begin with. Yeah, well, I mean, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, right, and uh, there were a lot of breweries there. And as a young man, before we could uh, legally drink beer, there was uh, one place called Schulte's Bar, which was a great. Uh, place and uh, I think the statute of limitations is run because I would go down there with my phony ID and I'm I'm not that tall now but even I was even shorter then and uh, sometimes it was great though you know they they were a local uh, you know uh, pub and we hung out there and it was uh, very strong I remember I think it was called Carling's Black Label was uh, one of our (laughs) local beers there and uh, they but all over the north, uh, now this is, you know, in the 60s. Um, however, even, even then, I think the brewing industry had, start, had consolidated quite a bit. And so it was 25, 30 years later when all of a sudden it started getting back into what had existed 60, 70, 80 years uh, earlier. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, you had the the pioneers like uh, Sierra Nevada Brewing Company or Anchor when uh, Anchor Brewing it was resurrected. Some of those uh, those breweries have been around for a long time, but they were the ones that paved the way to get back to what beer is, which is really it's like a small community endeavor. It's people coming together, talking, hanging out with their families, bringing their kids. Um, so that they can sit down, maybe share a little food, have a beverage, play a game, chat for a little while, that sort of thing. It's a, it's a very personable kind of business to be in. Yeah, I remember in the late 70s and early 80s, uh, we used to pay a premium to smuggle in Coors beer. Now, <laughs> have you ever heard about that? Yes, that's right. <laughs> East of the Mississippi. Yeah, yeah, because Coors was only west of the Mississippi, and friends of ours, you know, we, we'd go skiing and stuff like that. And then, of course, and then they were sending cars and small trucks out to do Coors runs to bring in Coors beer into Gainesville and other places in Florida. And somehow they were selling it for a premium enough to pay, to you know, to pay for the gas and make a profit. Wow. So, anyhow, that was, uh, that was before we had any local uh, breweries. So uh, what are some of your specialties as far as uh, the beers that you produce? We are not exclusively so, but we are largely a Belgian-inspired brewery. So I like to do lots of Belgian styles. Um, they're, they're very fun. They're a little bit unique as far as what you'd normally consider American beer to be. Um, most American beers, you know, you're talking about pale ales, IPAs, um, 
that sort of thing. Tell, tell the audience um, some of the nomenclature as far as, you know, what's a pale ale, you know, uh, what are the, some of the different common beers that, uh, you know, you, you run into? Well, Pale ales tend to tend to have some things in common with that. They're just they're just a little toned down and a little more balanced. So sometimes if you get somebody who's not a hophead, um, they'll go toward a pale ale. Or you have stouts, American stouts or imperial stouts. Those have the dark roasted uh, malts in them. They they have that nice dark, deep, rich color. And there's just so there's so many beer styles. Like it, it's. Well, it's hard, so, hard to even get started. Yeah, well, I always, you know, so it depends on my mood, right? I mean, sometimes I just want, you know, um, you know, a, a lighter beer. Just, you know, I don't want to drink water, but um, I feel like a lighter beer, not a heavier beer. So, what what kind of beers uh, fall into that uh, classification? A, a lot of the lagers do. Um, lagers differ from ales in their fermentation temperature generally. Uh, they're fermented cooler, takes a little bit longer, a little slower. They tend to be a little smoother uh, than a lot of the ales are. Uh, and, and a lot of them, that's, you, you'll find the, the ones that are the larger breweries, technically those are lagers as well. So your Budweiser is a lager. It's maybe not one I would choose to have personally. Um, but so I, like, for instance, I make, um, I'll make something called the Bat Adder Hellas. It's a German Helles lager, not not very hoppy, nice, got a little smooth malt backbone to it. Um, my Magnum Pilsner Investigator is a German Pilsner, um, so it's it's a little on the hoppy side, but still a lager. Um, and once again, kind of keeping with the German tradition of things. Um, so those are those are I love those beers; they're fantastic. But but most of what we do make are ales of a different you know of different sorts. So. Um, uh, what are your preferences as far as uh, you know uh, the top beers that you personally like to drink? Uh, I like hoppy Belgian ales. Um, most of them aren't easily uh, obtainable around the U.S. a whole lot, uh, but I do like Belgian triples. If I had to kind of pick a style uh, that I preferred uh, in general, most of the time Belgian triples. Uh, they're they're delicious. They're blonde in color little stronger in their alcohol content and they do usually have a little bit of a hot backbone to to them too that kind of kind of keeps uh keeps your your palate refreshed a bit when you have it very interesting so are there any of the big name brands that uh you you like enjoy drinking right now we actually have on as some of our guest taps we have uh, delirium tremens uh, so that's one of the one that of the sounds big, dangerous. The big Belgian, <laughs> it's it's dangerous. It's about eight and a half percent alcohol. It's not too bad. Um, we have some Belgian quads on, um, like uh, Saint Bernardus ABT twelve, um, also delicious. That one's closer to ten percent. Um, I think probably some of the most dangerous beers are the ones that I make. Uh, we have our pumpkiny wumpkiny on right now, which we just uh, kicked off on the first day of fall, and uh, that one weighs in at twelve percent ABV. Wow, so it's it's almost like wine as far as its uh, alcohol strength. Absolutely. So, do you recommend drinking it more like wine than beer? Well, you're not going to guzzle a whole lot of those twelve percenters. <laughs> it would not be advisable. 
but it, it is you know, usually like for ours the the higher ABV will we serve those in the ten ounce glass. Uh, it just promotes moderation. It's about the right amount to have at that. You can decide to have another one if you wish, but it's it, much like in a wine glass. You're going to have that five six ounces of wine. That's about the appropriate amount, and then you decide if you have some more. Well, I, you know, I love beers. We, you know, we, uh, you know, we we go around, and I do like to try um, the different uh, brewery, local breweries, wherever we travel. Uh, Sissy, where are some of your favorite places to travel for great beer besides Blackadder and Gainesville? <laughs> well, he mentioned Belgium. Yeah, we, we um, pre-COVID, we, we tried to make one European trip every year, usually around Thanksgiving. Um, and Belgium, Germany, absolutely love those, those styles of beer. Um, locally, or even just you know traveling outside to North Carolina or North Georgia, if I can find a good solid IPA, that makes me happy. I oh. like those. But this time of the year, it's all about fast beers. October fast beers. I know. Love it. We have forty taps on, and there are several dedicated to this really? type of style this this time of year. Oh, and what uh, days are you open? Um, every day except Monday. So Tuesday, Tuesday through Sunday. And uh, so you're located right uh, on Newberry Road near where the um, Oak Mall is and uh, Books, what is it, Books a Million yep, we're is close there. to Books a Million, yep. Uh, Hobby Lobby's there. Yep. So for those of you in the um, Alachua County area, those are good landmarks. If you if you find Books a Million, you can find Black Adam, right? This is true. So I got to tell you, when I was... Uh, between my second and third year in law school, we took a trip for two months with a couple of friends to Europe. And we made our way around Europe going to breweries because they would give us free beer and hot dogs or, or bratwurst or whatever they were serving. So I remember going to, um, in Munich, we went to Lowenbrau. <clears throat> and uh, then we went to Amsterdam, went to Heineken's, okay, and then, in uh, Denmark, um, uh, let's see, there was Carlsberg. Yeah. Uh, and, but anyhow, bef- it, nowadays I think uh, they don't like lavish free beer and, um, uh, and hot dogs no. and food and chips <laughs> on you. But back then, they did. So <clears throat> we might be in a town for three days and go back to the same brewery a couple times because they, you know, they fed us and we were on a limited budget. Mm-hmm. But it was a very good way to get introduced to um, different beers. I think we were in London and tried Guinness, even though I guess it's what Irish, right? Mm-hmm. But still, the, if you're in a in an English pub, uh, you know they're going to have some Guinness on tap, probably. They usually do. That's yeah. true. What, so, what's your favorite way to uh, present Guinness? Well, I. I do recall when we went to Ireland, I uh, I did do a bartender poll of Guinness, was trained how to do it by, by an actual Irish bartender, but we don't have Guinness at Blackadder. Strangely enough, we do have two nitro taps, but we generally have like an imperial stout and a, a, a raspberry wheat on for those two. So And they are slower pours, definitely. They are. So tell us about what's a slower pour mean? Um, just that, with, when you're, when you're, Pouring the beer, you you take your time doing that because it's going to be a gusher if you 
if you no, if you open it up, all, right? Mm -hmm. it'll, it'll, it'll be all all head and mm -hmm. no beer. So yeah, you gotta take take care. So so what you're doing is you're 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 pouring it slower and against the side of the glass in exactly. order to keep it from you know exactly. the, the blowing up and yeah. stuff like that. In general, that's a good technique for any of the beers, but it especially works with mm -hmm. nitro beers like that. Yeah, but but uh, yeah, certain beers they have uh, you know uh, a whole stick about how to pour mm -hmm. them the right proper way, right? Pour, yeah. proper mm -hmm. pour so are you both experts now in the proper pour i wouldn't pour? say that <laughs> <laughs> well we've been doing it for a few years so we're we're, we're decent at it you but, are yeah. now what do you do there at the uh at the well, I clean the kegs. Okay. okay. <laughs> one of the least glamorous jobs. Um, I handle the marketing. Um, I, I, I'm the one that does the stuff on social media and uh, tries to get, get events set up, um, community engagement. Well, I'll tell you, I'm going to run home and talk to my wife about coming out uh, to Blackadder and seeing you guys because it sounds like so much fun. So you're open every day except Monday, is that, that right? That is correct, yes. yeah. And um, yeah, we encourage everybody to, uh, you know, check out our local um, businesses. And I'm very excited, uh, you know, Gainesville is really doing great as far as... Uh, being on the forefront, and I think uh, it's, it's exciting uh, to have uh, have you as our guest, and we look forward to uh, coming out and visiting with you. We would love that. Yes, thank you. Okay, well, we're at the end of our show. Thank you very much for joining Meldon Law and Friends, and we're going to be back next week for another exciting episode of Meldon Law and Friends. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs>